Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is the 16th of June, 2012, and we are in the lower hamlet of Plumlish in the Assembly of Stars Meditation Hall during our 21-day retreat, The Science of the Buddha. In Plumlish, uh, we, um, we practice uh, the mantras, the four mantras of love. It seems that it has grown uh, to uh, six mantras. We have to update uh, our practice. And then we uh, also learn about the four elements of true love. Now it has become six elements of true love. The first mantra of love is, uh, I'm here for you. It's so easy to practice. Uh, to love someone means to be there for him or for her. And to be there is an art. To be there is uh, a practice. So that uh, mantra should be should be a practice, not a declaration, not just a declaration. Darling, I'm here for you. Are you truly there for him or for her? One hundred percent. If you don't have enough mindfulness and concentration, you cannot be there one hundred percent for him or for her. So with the practice of mindful breathing. Mindful walking, mindful sitting for instance, you can bring your mind home to your body in such a way that you uh, you'll be established fully in the here and the now. And that is the practice of mindfulness. Bringing, bringing your mind home to your body. And then you are there. One hundred percent. It means the practice is to restore, to produce your presence, your true presence. So be so to be mindful. First of all, 
it means uh, to be there, body and mind together, fully present in the here and the now. And that is a practice. And there are many ways to do so, uh, walking, mindful walking, mindful sitting, mindful breathing, and so on. And in Plum Village, we, we learn uh, the 16 exercises of mindful breathing. And with uh, the practice of mindful breathing, we can very well uh, uh, restore ourselves, uh, produce our true presence in the here and the now. And that is an act of love, to be there. But before you can be there for him or for her, uh, you have to be there for yourself. So this mantra is also for, you, for, for, for ourselves. I'm here for you, but it means also that I'm here for myself. When I, I go home to my, to my body, my mind goes home to my body, I become aware that I have a body. There's something that we forget uh, when we uh, are absorbed into our work. Uh, we are with our computer. And we get lost. We don't remember that we have a body. So it may be helpful for you to program uh, a bell of mindfulness in your computer so that every uh, quarter of an hour uh, you have a chance to go back to your body and just smile to your body. There is also the practice of love directed to yourself. And if you are with yourself, uh, you can be with us, with the person you love, the bell of mindfulness. Uh, you can download the, the bell from the Plumbridge website. And it will be your friend, your co-practitioner. Every 15 minutes, the bell will remind you to go home to your body and to be here, to be there in the here and the now. And, and the practice uh, can be pleasant. Uh, breathing in and bringing your mind home to your body can be a very pleasant uh, thing to do. You enjoy your in-breath and you enjoy your body. You enjoy your mind. And then the and then the mantra will have an effect on the other person also. The other person may not be there for you, or may not be there for himself or herself. The other person, your beloved one, may be lost in her thinking, her worries, in the past and the future. So mantra, your mantra, help you and help the other person to come home. So when you produce that mantra, 
powerfully. Not only you are there, but you can help, you can rescue the other person. You can help him or her to go back to himself, herself, for herself, for himself, and for you. So the effect can be doubled. Darling, I am here for you. And you pronounce in such, such a way that your energy of uh, being present in here and now can, can help bring about the presence of your beloved one. And the effect of the first um, mantra can be very powerful. You rescue both you and your beloved one. You bring you and him or her, or her uh, back to the here and the now. Because uh, the first definition, definition of love is to be there. To be there. And to be there is a practice. The question is simple. How can you love if you are not there? In order to love, you have to be there. It means your mind has to be home in the here and the now, so that you can love. So if you are a true lover, you know that mindfulness practice is the foundation of your, of your love. You cannot love properly and deeply unless you are you are mindful, and mindfulness is a practice. The second mantra also can be very powerful, can create your happiness and his happiness at the same time. Darling, I know you are there, and I am very happy, because you are there. You already have produced your true presence. And then, and then you are in a position to recognize someone else's presence, which is a very uh, precious to you. Darling, I know you are there. Your presence is so crucial to my happiness. Your presence is so precious to me. So, you have already produced your presence. You are truly there in the here and now, and you are in position to recognize his presence or her presence. You cannot make the second step unless you have made the first step. The first step is the first mantra. I'm here. I recognize my presence. I offer my presence to you, my beloved one, which is uh, the best kind of gift that a lover can can make to to her beloved one. Nothing can be more precious than your presence. You can buy things from the market and how expensive the thing you buy for him or for her is not uh, as precious as your true presence. So the, the most precious gift 
that you can make to your beloved one is your presence. And you can also make your presence uh, fresh, pleasant, loving. And everything is possible with mindfulness. When you practice uh, the pebble meditation, you become more fresh, more solid, more calm, more peaceful, freer. And with that uh, wonderful presence, which is fresh, solid, free, and calm, you offer to your beloved one. And you can make the happiness of that person and your own happiness. So your presence is a gift. Darling, I'm here for you. I offer you my presence. Pebble meditation was um, designed for the practice of children. The first uh, uh, retreat organized uh, for children were in Santa Barbara. And uh, many hundreds of children came for the retreat. And uh, among them there were children who have come to retreats before, so they know the practice. There are elders in the, in the retreat. So they serve as the core of the practice in Sangha. And then many parents came to support uh, their children. It's a wonderful uh, retreat. But uh, we adult, we find out, we found out very soon that we like the practice of Bible meditation also. So the practice of Bible meditation is not only for children but for us. Uh, the four pebbles. The first one represents uh, a flower. Breathing in, I see myself as a flower in the garden of humanity. We are a real flower. And if we know how to practice, we remain a flower, fresh, for a long time. The second table represents a mountain. Uh, if we know how to practice, uh, we, can, we, can, we can maintain our stability, our solidity so that the other person can count on us, can rely on us. The third pebble is uh, still water. They can reflect things as they truly are. And that, is, uh, that represents uh, your peace, your calm. When you are calm, when you are peaceful, you are pleasant. And you, are, you do not distort reality. You, you see clearly. And the fourth um, uh, pebble represents uh, freedom. 
you have a lot of space. It is, uh, it is, it represents space, freedom. You have a lot of space in you. You are not overloaded with projects and worries and anger. So with uh, enough uh, space and freedom in you, you can be a happy person. And you would like to offer him or her some space. It's wonderful to offer someone space and freedom. Without space and freedom inside and around, a person cannot be happy. So the fourth pebble represents space. Breathing in, I see myself as space. Breathing out, I feel free. You have a song that we used to, to sing before uh, walking meditation. And that is not only for singing. That is for the daily practice so that we can improve our quality of presence. Fresher, more solid, more calm, and uh, freer. And uh, thanks to that practice, uh, we have a very pleasant presence in order to offer to our beloved one, darling, I'm here for you. It means I offer you my presence, which is uh, the most precious thing I have. And the second mindfulness, the, the second mantra is uh, to acknowledge the presence of your beloved one. And this is very important because uh, when you are ignored by, your, by the other person, you don't feel that you are loved. She ignores you, or he ignores you. Uh, driving the car, uh, he thinks of everything except you who sit <laughs> on his right. <laughs> you do not have her attention, his attention. So to love means to be aware of the presence of your beloved one to be aware of His presence and to recognize that presence as something very, very precious to you. So the second mantra is for that. To use the energy of mindfulness to embrace, to recognize the presence of, uh, of, of, uh, of your beloved one. And being embraced by your mindfulness the other person will bloom like a flower. And that is the energy of love, the energy uh, of mindfulness. Darling, I know you are there, alive, and I'm very happy. And you can, you can use your portable telephone to practice the mantra. You can even send an email. You breathe in and out and you type the mantra. <laughs> and you are happy why you are doing so. And when you push on the on button send. 
So the second mantra also has the same kind of effect. It brings you happiness. It will bring the other person happiness. And you are both nourished by the energy of love, the energy of mindfulness. And these are not too difficult to practice. And these mantras you can practice several times a day. We are there to love. And love can bring a lot of happiness. And that is the practice of mindfulness. And children, they can practice these mantras very well also. I remember when we were in China, leading retreats, uh, we taught children to write down the mantras in Chinese <laughs> and urge them to practice with their father, with their mother and son. <coughs> the third mantra is, uh, is needed when you notice that the other person suffers. And the third mantra can help him or her to suffer less right away. Again, you don't need to do much in the beginning. You must only be there for him or for her. So the same kind of practice. Breathing or walking in order to to restore your presence. Darling, I know you suffer. That is why I'm here for you. And that is true love. True love is made of mindfulness. And because of mindfulness, you know that something is not going well with him or with her. And if you notice that, you can do something to help him or her suffer less. And the first thing you do is to be there for him or for her. Darling, I'm here for you. Darling, I know you suffer. That is why I'm here for you. Before you can do anything, she can she suffer less right away. When you suffer, and and your beloved one ignore your suffering. You suffer more. But if uh, the other person is aware of your suffering, if that person offers his uh, presence to you during this difficult moment, you suffer less right away. So it does not take much time in order to bring a relief. And that is... Uh, a uh, a mantra that you can use in your relationship and help the other person to suffer less. And the fourth mantra is uh, a little bit more difficult. In the case you have uh, too much pride in you, uh, that is uh, when you suffer, you yourself suffer and you believe that your suffering has been caused by him or her. That happens from time to time. 
if uh, it was another person who have said that to you, you, you would have suffered less. But it's not another person, it's him, it's her, the person you love the most, who have said that to you. That is why you suffer deeply. If it were another person who has done that to you, you would have suffered less. But it's not another person, it's that person you love the most, who had done this to you, so you suffered very deeply. And there is something like uh, the intention to punish, punish him or her, because uh, they have dared to make you suffer. They are human, so we recognize the fact that they are human. And when you suffer, we think that uh, the suffering has been caused by the other person. He does not love, love me, she does not love me. So why do I have to love him? <laughs> so the natural tendency is to punish. And, uh, and the way to punish is to show him or her that I can survive without him or her. I don't need him or her. And many of us have made that mistake. Thay has made that mistake also. But we learn. And the way, the usual way to do it is to show the other person that without him or her, we can survive very well. <laughs> that is an indirect way to say, I don't need you. <laughs> and that's not true love. In fact, when we suffer, we need the other person. That is the commitment we made in the beginning. So you have to be true, faithful to that commitment. When you suffer, you should tell him that you suffer and you need, you need his help. But now you are doing the opposite. You want to show that you don't need him, you don't need her. You can survive alone very well. <coughs> You prefer to go to your room and lock it yourself inside and cry. You don't want to, to go uh, and ask, ask for help. There is a pride in yourself. And that's why we need the fourth mantra. Darling, I suffer. Please help. It's so simple, but it's so difficult. <laughs> But if you can bring yourself to pronounce the mantra, you suffer less right away. That is what I guarantee. So please uh, write it down, that sentence, that magic formula, the fourth mantra, yeah, on a piece of paper the size of your credit card. Darling, I suffer. Please help. When you you get angry at him or her because uh, she has uh, dared to make you suffering,
And uh, if uh, the other person notice that uh, you are not well, you suffer, and try to come and comfort you. Darling, do you suffer? And you say, suffer? Why do I have to suffer? (laughs) That's not true. You suffer deeply, and you say you don't suffer. You don't tell the truth. And that is the mantra is something opposite. You have to recognize that you suffer. Darling, I suffer. And I want you to know it. Please help. In fact, uh, the formula is a little bit longer. Darling, I suffer. I don't understand why you have done such a thing to me. I don't understand why you have said such a thing to me. I suffer. Please explain. I need your help. And that is true love. But to say that I don't suffer, I don't need your help, that is not true love. And the other person may come close and try to put his hand on your shoulder and you want to punish him, you say, leave me alone. I can be, I can very well survive without you. That is what you want to tell him, to tell her indirectly. And many of us commit that, that kind of mistake. So it's helpful to, uh, to write it down on that uh, little piece of paper and, and insert it into your wallet. And next time, when you suffer, and if you believe that it is him, it is he or she who, ha- who is the cause of your suffering, remember to take it out and read. And you will know exactly what to do. Practice the fourth mantra. According to this practice, you have the right to suffer 24 hours, but not more. <laughs> deadline. The deadline is 24 hours. And you have to practice the fourth mantra before the deadline. You have your portable telephone. You have your computer. And you can also write it down on a piece of paper and put on his desk or something like like that. I'm sure that when you are able to bring yourself to write it down, you suffer less right away. So that sentence can be split into uh, three sentences. Darling, I suffer, and I want you to know it. There's sharing. You share your happiness, you share your suffering. Please 
explain to me why you have done that to me. You have said that to me. I suffer. And then the second line is uh, I am doing my best. Because I am a practitioner of mindfulness. When I get angry, I don't say anything that can cause damage to myself and to you. I don't do anything that can cause damage. I am practicing mindful breathing, mindful walking, and looking deeply into my suffering in order to find out what is the roots of my suffering. I believe that uh, my suffering has been caused by you, but I'm, as I, I am practitioner, I should not be sure of that. I'm looking to see whether my suffering has come from a wrong perception from my part. Maybe you did not want to say it. Maybe you didn't want to do it. So, as I am a practitioner, I am now doing my best to practice looking deeply, to recognize my anger, and to embrace it uh, tenderly. So the second uh, sentence, I am doing my best, is a kind of reminder. It's a kind of invitation for the other person to do the same. And when the other person got the message, she will ask, Oh, I didn't know that uh, she suffered. What I have done, what I have said, so that she suffered like that. So that is an invitation for the other person to practice also looking deeply. And if one of the two uh, found out the cause, and then that person should communicate right away in order to apologize for uh, his or her unskillfulness so that um, not to make the other person to continue to suffer. So the second sentence is an indirect invitation for the other person to look deeply, to be aware of what is going on, to look deeply, to see what is the real cause of the suffering. And the third sentence is, uh, please help. I suffer. I want you to know it. I am doing my best. Please help. Please help. And when you take that piece of paper out of your wallet, you read, and you know exactly what to do. That is uh, the third and the fourth mantra. The fifth mantra is, this is a happy moment. <laughs> when you are with him or with her, you pronounce that mantra. This is not auto-suggestion or wishful thinking. 
because there are conditions of happiness that are there, but maybe you are not mindful enough, you don't recognize them. You don't, uh, you are not in touch with the conditions of happiness because you are not mindful enough. So this, this mantra is to remind us and the other person that you are very lucky, that there are so many conditions of happiness that are available in the here and the now. Sitting with him, walking with her, uh, you might like to pronounce the fifth mantra to help him, to help yourself, to realize that you are much luckier than many people. We have so many conditions of happiness, and if you if you do not enjoy these conditions of happiness, uh, you are not uh, wise at all. The fifth mantra is, this is a happy moment. And if you, if you can recognize that the, this moment is a happy moment or not, it depends on your mindfulness. If you are mindful, full of mindfulness, full of uh, uh, awareness, you will touch the many uh, conditions of happiness that are available in the human Only mindfulness can help you to do that. And these, these conditions of happiness are more than enough for both of you to be happy in the here and the now. So you are sitting together, you are having something together, you are walking together, Breathe in mindfully and recognize how lucky you are. So mindfulness make it. It is mindfulness that make the present moment into a wonderful moment, into a happy moment. And the practitioner is an artist. She knows she know how to bring happiness into the here and the now with her practice. The French uh, have uh, a song with the title Qu'est-ce qu'on attend pour être heureux? Why do we have to wait? Why don't we be happy right here and right now? And it is with mindfulness that you can recognize that it is possible to be happy right here and right now. And the Buddha's teaching is also go, going in that direction. The Buddha said, it is possible to be happy in the here and the now. Drista Dharma Sukha Vihara. Dear friends, have you heard of the sixth mantra? 
the monastics have, and the permanent residents have learned. And that is when the other person congratulates you uh, or criticizes you. Uh, in both cases, you can use uh, the six mantra. And the six mantra is that, darling, you are partly right. <laughs> <laughs> You are partly right. At least you are partly right. <laughs> because I do have uh, weakness in me, and I do have uh, strength in me. It, if you are you congratulate me, I should not be get lost. I should not uh, ignore that in myself there are negative things. Because when you see the beautiful thing in the other person, you ignore the, the thing that are not so beautiful in him or in her. Because we are humans, we have both the positive and negative thing. So when your beloved one congratulates you, telling you that you are perfect, you are the very image of perfection, you say that, darling, you are only partly true. You know that I have <laughs> the other things in me also. So you can retain your, your humility and so on. You are not victim of an illusion because you know that you are not perfect. It's very important. And you show your humility. And when the other person criticizes you, said that you are not worth anything or something like that, and you can say the same thing, darling, you are only half, half <laughs> right, because I do have good things in me. And in a relationship, uh, 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 you can use these uh, uh, six mantras. Now let us get back to uh, perception, <laughs> to our mind. The the subject, the subject of uh, cognition is sometimes called nang uh, yin. And the object of mine is called Sơ Yên. Alabama. And this is Kiến Phần Đạt Sân This is Tướng Phần 
นิมิตาสดิสิสเอ for our convenience we distinguish between the knower and the known the perceiver and the object that is being perceived and we know that both manifest at the same time like the left and the right the subject and object of uh, of cognition They arise at the same time. But we should be careful that not only the subject is distinguished with the object. But the subject can also be the object, because when mind examine and observe mind, mind become the object of mind. So the object is not just on the right; the object is the is on the left. Everything, including your mind. Is object of your observation of, of mind, and we can see. We can see the observer. We can see the observe not only here and here, but also here, and we can see the observer at the same time here and here. So the observer. Become the participant. The object observation also become participant. Let us go back to the sheet of paper. When we hold a sheet of paper like this, we see the above and the below. And the above and the below manifest at the same time. They lean on each other, and we cannot take them apart from each other. The same thing is the is right is right with the left and the right. And we speak of uh, <clears throat> the substance that is the foundation of both left and right, which is uh, the paper, the the paste of paper. So this is uh, the mind of uh, discrimination. There is uh, the observer, there is the object observed, and then this is the foundation, which từ thế phần. Sva bhava. And we should learn to look 
in such a way that uh, you see that it's not possible to take the first out of the second and out of the third. And you cannot take the third out of the first and of the second. They are together. And you can, you can, you can uh, compare it with the idea of the notion of uh, superposition. You can compare also with uh, the idea of entanglement. You cannot take them apart. They are not three objects. Three and just, they are just one. Without one, the other cannot be. And in Buddhist psychology, the third one, the third part, has an interesting name. It is the, the name is the support of uh, the known. Le support du connaissable. The second is le connaissable. What is known? What is... Uh, what is perceived? And in Chinese, it is uh, written shirti. Uh, the object of perception. The second is called shirti, object of perception. And the third is called shirti e. Srinya asrava, asraya. And this is uh, the foundation of uh, the known. The base of the known. And this is uh, one of the names of consciousness. Le support reconnaissable, the ground of uh, the known. This is knower, this is the known, and this is the foundation of the known. Everything manifest here comes from here. So this is uh, one of the names of uh, our consciousness. Another name is uh, Alaya. Another name of consciousness is Nyukthip uh, Chung.
Another name is uh, Vipaka. Another name is Căn Bản. Mula. Mula Vishnana. Vipaka. Vishnana. Sabha Vishaka. Alaya Vishnana. And another name is Adana. Tepti. So these names can be very helpful. First of all, uh, consciousness, that, that lower part of consciousness, that... Uh, that is uh, that is uh, represented here as the base of the paper is the foundation for the manifestation of the left and the right. You see, third part, left, right, and base, and you cannot take them apart. So sometimes that part is called uh, mula, the base. Bula Vishnana. And in, uh, in, in the southern school of Buddhism, um, we don't use the word Alaya, but we use the word Bula Vishnana. It is uh, the roots. Because, because uh, in the root there are many seeds many seeds that can be manifested as object of cognition and subject of cognition. And this is called bija, your potentialities. Potentials. Sometimes they are called uh, Shakti. Kongang.
It's interesting to compare uh, these kind of energies in form of seeds that you cannot locate in space and time, and yet they are there in order to manifest as subject and object of cognition. The nature is non-local. So Alaya is the same Sarva Bijaka. So store consciousness. is the kind of uh, consciousness that has the, the duty, the function to maintain, to store all these kind of seeds of, uh, of uh, forces, of potentials, not to lose, not to let uh, them go, that is store consciousness. It's like the keeper of the museum, so that the thief will not come and steal all the precious things in the museum. The store is also what is being stored. It is the, the keeper of the museum, it is the museum itself, the content of the museum itself. So tang means to store, this nang tang. the storer and what it will store. But Alaya has also the third aspect. Alaya is a victim. Alaya is mistaken as a self by by another function of consciousness called manas. Manas is one fun function of our consciousness. <coughs> manas. Manas is made of uh, Wrong perceptions. There is a self. And manas is attached to that self. Manas is uh, the kind of uh, complexes, including the complex of superiority, the complex of inferiority, and the complex of uh, equality. Manas is made of these, uh, these elements. Self-love, self-complex, self-view, there is uh, a self. And because of manas, clinging and possessing, and that is why Alaya becomes victim. (coughs) Nangtang is one of its names. Sertang is Nangtang, Sertang, and Nga Ai Taptang.
So these are three aspects of Alaya. It is the storer of seeds. It is the total, uh, all the seeds, and it is also the object of uh, of attachment. So she is not free. Store is not free because of manas. Manas has uh, the tendency to always trying to 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 avoid suffering. It does not like suffering. Avoiding suffering. It's trying to to run away from suffering. If there is some some uh, loneliness, some anger, some fear. And then Manas doesn't like it. Manas tries to consume, to run away, to cover up with uh, other things. Manas pretend that that suffering is not there. It's not a problem. Why it is a real problem? So one of the tendency of Manas is always trying to escape, to, to run away from suffering. And the second tendency of manas is uh, seeking pleasure. Always looking for pleasure. If there is a tendency to go and seek pleasure, that is manas. Manas does not know about the goodness of suffering. She ignores totally. She ignores the goodness of suffering. She does not know the teaching of the Four Noble Truths. That if uh, we recognize suffering, we embrace suffering and look into the suffering, and then we can find a way of uh, happiness and transform the suffering. Suffering has its uh, is, uh, goodness. La bienfaisance. Le bienfait, le bienfait de la souffrance. Les bienfaits de la souffrance. 
just like the mud, is very useful to make the lotus. If uh, there's no mud, there's no lotus. So you are looking for happiness, but you don't know that happiness can be made of suffering. So you are always trying to run away from suffering. And that is why we had to educate manas. Uh, meditation is to educate manas. You should tell manas that, let, let us see that what you look for happiness, you can find it right in the heart of suffering. If you understand suffering, if you know how to handle suffering, and then happiness is possible. Manas does not know it. That is why we have to instruct manas. That is the work of meditation. So she ignore the goodness of suffering. And she also ignore the danger of pleasure seeking. And that is why she can be the cause of our, of the destruction of our body, our mind, because uh, in the object of our craving, there are so many dangers. Running after this object of craving, it may destroy our body, our mind, our well-being. And Manas does not know it, so you have to instruct Manas. And manas ignore something else, the law of moderation. And we have to practice in order to make moderation into a, a habit. We do everything with moderation, including eating. <coughs> so Alaya is not free because of manas. And uh, in Buddhist psychology, uh, we usually uh, call manas the seventh consciousness, the seventh one. and alaya, the eight consciousness. <coughs> Adana is another name of Analaya. Because uh, our consciousness has the power, have the capacity to maintain, to maintain this body, to maintain this uh, environment as it is. It is another function of uh, alaya vishnana. 
Ariya is to store information. And to preserve uh, information. And to process information. To learn. And make it into a seat, a habit. Suppose when we learn to drive, it is our mind consciousness that is that does the work of learning. Mind consciousness. Manu Vishnana. You have to understand the sign. You have to recognize the parts of the automobile. You have to learn how to make use and use mind consciousness. Mind consciousness is slow and expensive. It spends a lot of energy and it's slow. Compared with uh, Alaya, it's very slow. And then we, we learn, and everything we learn from by Manovishna will fall into Alaya as experiences, as information. So Alaya is learning at the same time with Mana. So when we drive very well, We are used to driving, and then when we drive, it's not exactly Mano Vishna which is driving. Mind consciousness may think of everything except driving, and we drive automatically. And that is Alaya who is doing the driving. And Alaya is quicker. If you encounter something, you react right away. If you wait until Manu Vishnana to become aware and to give an order is too late. So when you say that I'm on automatic, it means you rely on Araya. And in our daily life, many of us rely entirely on on store consciousness. Yeah, on automatic uh, mode. We eat without knowing that we are eating. We drive without knowing that we are driving. We say things, we think without knowing that we are saying things, and, and that is without mindfulness. So store has the duty to receive information, to store information, to process information and to learn. During the night, if uh, it becomes too cold, store would give an order to the hand to take up uh, uh, the blanket. It's not mind consciousness. 
mindfulness might be in a dream, might be living in a dream, and store, give <coughs> your body a direct order so that your body can pull up the blanket to get warmer. Savabhijaka means uh, the totality of all the seeds. So when we when we speak of uh, mind perception, we know that store consciousness has all kind of seeds here. Force, power, potentials, and when they manifest, they can manifest as object of consciousness or subject of consciousness. And both come, everything come from, from, from seeds. So what we see here, whether it is a mountain, or a galaxy, or an atom, or our beloved one, all of them are manifestation now from our consciousness, from these uh, seeds. And these seeds may describe it as individual or collective. It is, it is like uh, our suffering. In the beginning of our retreat, we learned that our suffering carries with itself, within itself, the suffering of our parents, our ancestors. Our suffering also carries within itself the suffering of our nation, of the world. So there is the element of individual suffering and collective suffering inside. So consciousness is like that. Consciousness cannot be described either as strictly individual or strictly uh, um, collective. And if we observe deeply, we can remove that pairs opposite the individual and the collective. Suppose uh, we speak of our body as something that belongs to ourselves, and it affects only us, but that is not true. Because uh, the way we are can affect everyone. You can say that your optic nerves only concern you. Your happiness, your suffering, your power, your capacity to see uh, depends on your optic nerves. But if you are a bus driver, you know, the life of other people depends on your optic nerves. So your optic nerve is not exactly an individual thing. It is a collective thing also. Everything has to do with everything else. We have our body, we have our consciousness. And each of us has our electromagnetic field reaching out. 
And we are not only this body, uh, this uh, perception, we are also uh, electromagnetic field that we are interacting with every moment. We are always reaching out to other things. We can compare that to the, with the, the, the notion of uh, force field in modern physics. Lực trường Force Fuel The Force Fuel is a kind of energy that we exert on other on other things one thing exert on other things and that is why you are in me and I am in you the Buddha is reaching out and his energy is reaching you. You are made somehow of that energy of the Buddha also. And if you know how to practice, you can recognize the energy, you can help it uh, to be, become more obvious, uh, more powerful. The sun, the sun that is shining, is reaching out. The sun is a kind of bodhisattva, reaching out and offering a lot of its energy to, to the cosmos. And without the sun, there will be no life on earth, on this planet earth and in us. The sun is a mahasattva, a great being, and we are also being that can that is reaching out. Our presence has an effect on everything else in the cosmos. And the way we are can affect, can can cause more suffering or can cause more happiness or well being to the other person. There is the word uh, the expression Mahasattva, great being. And it's sure that the planet Earth is a great being. She is very talented. She is endowed with many talents and power. She can give birth to many wonderful species. She is the mother of all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. And we should not look at uh, planet Earth as uh, only our environment. She is a real Bodhisattva, very alive, very intelligent, very creative. And we have Mother Earth inside of us. And if we meditate uh, deeply enough, we touch our nature of no birth and no death. Yeah, we'll be free from, from the fear of uh, being born and dying. And uh, with the practice, we can become a great being, Mahasattva, great being. And our influence on on others, on the cosmos, can be great. Uh, When we uh, know how to generate the energy of understanding and compassion, not only we bring well-being and happiness into us, 
but that kind of energy is reaching out and help the other people to transform and to suffer less. Uh, yeah, not only in here, we yeah, are everywhere. Our, our, our presence is uh, non-local. So we can speak of uh, everything in terms of uh, energy, in terms of potentials, in terms of seeds. These seeds manifest themselves as the object of our, of our cognition and also as the subject of our cognition. And uh, with the practice, we can get more freedom. With the practice, we can purify our mind. so that uh, reality, the ultimate reality, the ultimate truth will reveal to us. When the mind is pure, when the mind is free, and then reality will reveal itself totally here. And we don't have to look for the ultimate elsewhere. And in that case, in the case of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, Alaya becomes a kind of consciousness. And sometimes we call it the ninth consciousness. Vimala. Vimala. Vishnana. Bhattan thức. Vô cấu thức. The mind without any uh, any uh, def- uh, uh, defilement is completely purified, and in the case, uh, your mind is free from all prejudices and views. When your mind is free from all afflictions, and then reality within itself. <coughs> will re- review this technique. Bhutata. So all these kind of names. And then we have this uh, to consider. Vipaka means uh, retribution. Retribution. Because the, the seeds, they continue to manifest as a, a continuum. And they can bring happiness and suffering according to the value of, uh, of uh, the action that are taken. We used to describe time as a straight line. 
and uh, you may say that this is uh, the present moment. And the segment before P is uh, the past, and the segment beginning from P is the uh, future. Uh, But we can uh, we can uh, represent time otherwise. Why not as uh, a circle? And suppose here is the present moment. And this is the future that is coming up in order to become the present. The future is behind us and not in front of us anymore. So I have a treasure of the future that is coming and every moment it manifests here as the present. And when something is shown as uh, in the present, will proceed to go to become the past. To become the past. In order to become the future. Because nothing is lost. Whatever thought that you produce, you have a chain reaction. That is karma action. Action. And we are our action. Like Jean Pun Sartre has said, L'homme est la somme de ses actes. Very close to the Buddha's teaching. Man is the sum of his action, namely the product of his thinking, his speaking, and his doing things. That is energy. The value of a human being is his action. If we have the body and the mind is for action, we are our action. We are the result of our action. And we will be, uh, uh, we continue to be the result of our action. So suppose you produce a thought of uh, compassion, understanding, and forgiveness. That thought will be a force they will be stored in, in consciousness. It will not, never be lost. It will not become the past. And it, go, it does not violate the law of uh, the conservation of energy. <coughs> you cannot destroy energy. Energy can only be transferred. So it is taught in Buddhism very clearly. Your karma, whether it is uh, thinking or speaking or acting, will always be there in one form or another. And it will bring about retribution. It can bring retribution right here and right now. Like uh, the first mantra. Darling, I'm here for you. As soon as you act, 
your pronouns the mantra the effect can be right there in the here and now in you and in the other person it and it continues to be it is a flow it is a continuum you cannot say that it belongs to the past what you have said yeah what you have uh, thought it doesn't belong to the past it belongs to the future you are going to get it later on also you get it now some now some effect of your action you get it now and some effect of it you will get later and that is called retribution bow the retribution of uh, the action sometimes it is right right away it has an instant effect as soon as you are able to pronounce a, a word of compassion of forgiveness you feel wonderful and the other person feel wonderful so the effect it immediate immediate so that is uh, took means ripe it can be ripe right away and it can continue to ripe there are action that you will need time in order to become totally ripe it's like uh, the teaching of the buddha the teaching of the buddha benefit the people in his time but it continues to benefit people 2,600 years later. And there are many things we can explore and apply to our modern society. So the teaching the Buddha is an action, and it is in the course of ripening. And in the process of ripening, it's changing. Ye means to change to change. It's not have the same kind of appearance. Like when, when, when the, the orange blossom uh, become a tiny orange fruit, it is so tiny, and it is a green. But with the sunshine, with the rain, with time, it will grow in order to become a very uh, a beautiful uh, uh, yellow, red, orange. So in the process of ripening, things change for better or for worse, according to the nature of the action. So anything good that you do today, uh, it can be it can bring about the result right today and it will continue to bring good result into the future. So retribution, the consciousness of retribution is another name of Alaya. And nothing is lost. Suppose this is a kind of projector of slides. You project slide one here, and it goes 
to the right and number two come into the present moment and after that number two will pos- will will follow number one on the right in order to give place to number three and you know that if you continue number one will reappear here you cannot escape what you have done because everything you do bear your signature. Every thought you produce has your signature. Everything you say has your signature. And if it happens that you are not satisfied, you are not um, proud of what you have uh, thought, you have said, you can do something in order to return to change. And it is it's wonderful to know that if you have the practice, then you don't have to run after that thought in order to try to catch up and change. You stay here in the right, in the, in the here and in the now. Because that action is a kind of force that is uh, exerting its power on you and on others. And you stay right here and you, be, you breathe in, breathe out mindfully and you say, I'm aware that the thought that I produced yesterday was not worth of me. It does not have enough compassion and forgiveness. I can do better. And being aware of that in the here and the now, you give rise to another thought that is full of compassion and awareness and, and forgiveness. And as soon as you have produced that thought, the thought produced can catch up in no time at all the other thought and delete it or, 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 or transform it. That is wonderful concerning the practice. You don't have to go to, to the past in order to fix the past. You are there, right in the here and the now. And by using your mindfulness, concentration, you create uh, uh, understanding and compassion and you can change even the past. You can change even the future. Remember the, the story of uh, Mahamaya who, uh, who was pregnant of Siddhartha. The way she lived is very important. The, 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 the way she spent her hours and her days is very important for Siddhartha. Our children, even if we are still a young person, we are not a mother or a father yet, but our children are already there in potential, as potential. Only time is needed for them to, to manifest. And the way we live our daily life affects them already. Our children and grandchildren will be happy or not. It depends on how we live our day to day. If we drink alcohol, if we destroy our liver, if we uh, allow ourselves to be victims of uh, despair, 
and that is uh, that is not good for our children in us. So in the here and the now, you can affect the present. Uh, the not only the present, you can affect. You have the power on the past, and you have the power on the future. That is why mindfulness practice is to learn how to handle the present moment. And if you handle the present moment the best you can, you are doing everything you can do in order to change the past and prepare for the future. There is freedom. Free will is possible with mindfulness. The way you breathe in shows that you have freedom. You have free will. Tomorrow we have uh, a session of questions and answers.